Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and we have another amazing guest on the show today. My guest today is working at the intersection of people analytics, organizational psychology, and change management. She's a certified change management practitioner and is currently a people analytics change leader at Schneider Electric. Please welcome Elena Ressler. Hello, Elena. Hi, Justin. Great to be here today. Thanks. Really excited to have you on the show and ready to kick it off with the question that we ask every time at the beginning of the show, which is, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing the deskless workforce today? And a good good question to always kick it off. I enjoy listening to the podcast and hearing everyone's answers. So from my perspective, I work uh, directly with the HR organization, uh, providing analytics and technology solutions for them to to utilize to help uh, drive the people strategy at our organization. And so what I see that translating to is challenges around uh, the frontline workers in terms of innovation moving fast, change is moving fast, technology is coming at us all very fast, and we're being expected to take that all in and leverage all of these great solutions to the best of our ability as people, as well as the best of the technology's capabilities. And at times that can be really hard. And I think it's it's going around uh, lots of articles on the great resignation right now and how that's putting extra challenges on organizations, on um, the, the workers that are remaining in those organizations where they may be struggling with some higher turnover and the amount of uh, workload that comes on those frontline workers' plates. Um, So not only are we driving fast innovation to keep up with the technology landscape, but at times our workload and our bandwidth is changing drastically as well. Um, And so I think that puts our workforce in a really uh, challenging spot. And from HR's perspective as well, it's putting our, our HR folks in a spot of really needing to keep up with our ever-changing workforce and how do we retain our great talents that we have across our organizations and foster a culture of openness, innovation that also uh, supports kind of the the balancing act of all of these things that are, are coming at our frontline workers today. That's a, a really uh, awesome perspective, and you know, kind of tying in something that you just said about the the Great Resignation. Um, you're, you're reminding me of one of the additional challenges, above and beyond the fact that everybody's dealing with the pandemic, above and beyond the fact that uh, a lot of new things are being asked of the men and women on the front lines, and the pace of change, and all those other things. But we often think of the Great Resignation as a problem for companies because they have to backfill those positions. 
but it's also a problem for the people that are still there that work adjacent to some of those open positions right now. So if 20% of your colleagues have left in the last 30, 60, 90 days, you're probably bearing some of the burden of those vacancies. Um, and, and this is true of all job functions throughout the company, but I think it's particularly affected the men and women on the front lines. And so it just, it's, it's that much more for organizations to have to deal with. Um, and for the, the men and women who are, are really suffering from that. Yeah, and I think it, it gives us a unique opportunity as well. These are, are challenges that are affecting many folks across many organizations. And I think it's also time for us to look at the roles that we hold and how we leverage um, the, the tasks that our frontline workers are doing day in and day out. Are there opportunities for optimizing those roles or re reducing uh, manual tasks or relooking at those processes that maybe we followed for a long time historically and look at a better way of taking them on in the future, not only to drive better change within our organization, but also to balance that workload that we're talking about, you know, that added added a workload that, that can come on the employees that stay within an organization, but then also think of the great reshuffle. So we also have folks coming into the organization who need to be onboarded on all of these uh, processes, technologies that are in the day-to-day -day roles of people that have been in the organization, but taking on that new uh, role in and of itself is a challenge. You know, you're, you're in a fast moving environment. People sometimes say it's drinking from a fire hose as you're getting yeah. settled. And I think it's, it's also, um, you know, just pulling, pulling in on all of those different technologies that are coming during this, this time. So it's an exciting time, uh, I think for many, many workers, but also a time to look critically at the way that we approach our jobs and make sure we're maintaining that uh, well-being in, in our, our personal and professional lives, as well as being uh, the great contributors and innovators in our organization as well. Yeah. You know, I, I basically consider myself a, a mobile technologist after having spent two decades helping companies design, build, and, and deploy, and support technology solutions for the front lines. And I've always said that you know, companies needed the types of solutions that we were building when things were going well. They really needed them when things weren't going so well. And what you just described was a scenario where, you know, there were probably room, there was probably room for improvement, efficiency gains to be, um, you know, acquired by the customer uh, companies that were short staffed or looking for efficiency improvements. But now when, you know, 20 or 30% of your workforce is turning over and you may not be able to backfill all of those roles, it does create like the perfect opportunity now to say, hey, those ideas that we had been kicking around for a while that were nice to have before, now they're need to have so that we can survive. But you also raised the point that even without those new tech innovations, the teams are already strained. So it's it's like this kind of double whammy where they're they're constrained from a resourcing standpoint. And now we say, hey, but let's roll out some new technology so that we can improve the efficiency of the team. So now we're we're really kind of creating a perfect storm where they're already shorthanded, they're already strained. So we're going to go implement technology to help them, you know, improve efficiency in the long run. But the short term is going to have an impact on productivity and, and quality. 
um, that's, that's going to be pretty tough to swallow for a lot of people and all sides of the organization. It's a, a very large and fun challenge, I think, yeah. to tackle. And it comes back to also the teams leading the technology uh, rollouts to think about what are we prioritizing? Why are we bringing this new technology to the table? Who is it serving? I think at times we can get caught in the next shiny thing and lean into uh, driving technology transformation depending on what the new hot item on the market is. No, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying we just need to also consider, is this right for our end users? for our customers, for our frontline workers that are gonna be leveraging this technology. And while we're building out those solutions, how can we integrate them into that process? How can we hear from them? What are their needs? And truly taking that perspective into account. We're experts in the technology space. If that's where you sit in your organization, you have right. those experts, you know, what technology is going to work best with your systems and so on and so forth. But do we also have that skill set or that perspective on the human aspect of that change or how that fits into our technology? And while we're working through this challenge of all of these changes happening, and as you're saying, you know, these are not just nice to haves anymore. Some of these changes in technology are, we need to do this and we need to do this now but how can we set that up correctly to optimize that process and get to those desired outcomes? And I think that's, um, that's where the challenge can come in of how we approach those situations and what perspectives are taken into account. Because at the end of the day, many times the users of those technology uh, pieces of technology are not the ones building it. So how do we leverage the expertise across those diverse teams speak each other's languages and uh, keep that keep that end goal in mind uh, when we're building out the solution that we have. Yeah. All right. I'm at the risk of, of going into deep on some of these things because I, I, I do have a few more questions for you based on some of the things that you've already said, but I, I'd really like to pause for a minute and um, have a chance to, to have you introduce yourself to the audience and, and let them get to know you a little bit more. So share with us about your career journey, how you've ended up in, in change management, dealing with the, uh, the types of challenges that you're talking about. How did you end up here? Yeah, thanks, Justin. Uh, so I, I uh, have a background in industrial organizational psychology. That's my educational background. And it really uh, comes down to three main focus areas. So core HR topics, across the employee life cycle, hiring practices, uh, DEI practices, understanding turnover, attrition, things like that. The second piece to that education is really around research methodologies. So how do we take the, the human-centric approach and focusing on those individuals and study that so we're not approaching organizational challenges with just gut instinct, but basing that on research and, and evidence-based practices. And then the third piece of that, which fits right into the research aspect is uh, statistics and utilizing those to get to those meaningful data-driven outcomes. And so that's a mixture of, of core statistics, incorporating 
data science, machine learning methodologies, and all of that wrapped up into a single uh, kind of educational background was really a, a fun area of focus for me. And that's where my interest first in, in people analytics developed. So that organization in, in, in many uh, companies can fall under HR or human resources. And so I got the mix of the human resources core topics as well as leveraging data uh, to, to partner with those leaders on strategic insights. And as I started working with my wonderful global people analytics team uh, at Schneider Electric, I started to realize as we are launching these new products, what are all of the steps that go into that proper launch? How are we socializing uh, these new solutions with the users uh, in order to gain their excitement and get them on board with the change that we're trying to drive? And that was really the start of my uh, work in change management. I kind of fell into it. First and foremost, I was an analyst um, and, and consultant uh, in between the analytics teams and the HR organization, but then started to realize, all right, uh, some of these core pieces like communications and training are really core to what we do in a technical organization. And of course, if, if there's change management practitioners listening, uh, and something that I hold very close to my thought is, well, communication and training is not the only piece of change management. It is only two parts to that puzzle. Um, and so as I've continued on this journey and taken on leading the global change management capability for my team, it's really understanding how do we take a holistic approach of change management beyond communication and training to incorporate things like um, uh, change legacy, how that approaches what we do in the future, looking at those risks that come along with any project that we release and, and putting together clear action plans to help mitigate that risk. As I talked about earlier, looking at and hearing from those end users to incorporate their perspective. So it's been a really fun journey for me starting as an analyst, falling into an area that I really had a lot of interest in is taking a different approach to our technology launches. And for us, that's many times analytics solutions. And then starting to look at it in a more holistic light of the full change management um, approach, as well as culture transformation around leveraging data in our decision-making processes. So Lots of facets here that over the last few years have developed. Uh, so something it, you're really making me um, think about change management from a very different vantage point with the way that you just described your role. And I, I wasn't prepared to ask you about this, so I'll probably botch the question. So forgive me if I if I say this the wrong way, but I I feel like a lot of times when we talk about change management, we're talking about the softer side of things. We're talking about the people, maybe a little bit more subjective elements. We're, we're talking about strong human empathy. And I'm not suggesting that you also don't think of those things, but your description of this is coming at it from much more of a data-driven standpoint. 
And I, I think you're really one of the first guests that we've had that have talked about it in that light. And uh, I don't, I, I just like to explore that. I guess I'm having a hard time even thinking about what the right question should be there, but it's just more of an observation that I, as I listen to you describe your role and how you think about the human aspects of change, it was much more focused on, on data and analytics and statistics versus just empathy mapping, for example, or kind of really understanding the emotional side of things. So talk me through that a little bit. Yeah, I think there's two parts to, uh, to how I can answer this question or, or answer this, yeah. this theme Talk here. it through, yeah. Um, so, so first, uh, I'll speak on the work that we do in, in my people analytics uh, team. And then second, I can also go into how data can be leveraged to optimize change management practices. Because I think there's two pieces here. So the first one, around uh, the data-driven approach. So within many organizations, it's we keep hearing more and more about this data-driven culture. Uh, we need data to drive our decisions. There's a huge focus on now incorporating more AI into uh, op optimizing processes or you know, getting to outcomes and, and removing some of those manual processes that are are happening currently in organizations. So this transformation is, is well underway in organizations. And so within my team, uh, we, we are bringing those solutions, data, classic BI solutions, search-driven analytics, um, and partnering with leaders to have advanced analytics use cases to enable those decision-making processes across HR, which has a, a reach onto our customers, our overall business, our, our leaders, our managers, so on and so forth. And that, that culture change, technology is a very important piece of it. The analytic solutions that we bring to the table are huge, but we also need to think of it in a few other facets, including that community that we foster to support those data-driven decisions. This is a new skill set that many uh, frontline workers or HR professionals uh, maybe haven't developed. And so the technology is a huge piece of it, which is a lot of what my team focuses on. But in addition to that, how do we foster this community where people can come and ask their questions at whatever level they are? Maybe we're talking about a specific KPI that's measured and they don't have any understanding of what that KPI calculation is, definition, um, so on and so forth. So we need a welcoming environment that can one, help them boost that data literacy or in another context, that literacy around using a, a, a new technology or new product, but how do we create a welcoming environment? So they can thrive and learn and upskill themselves to get to a place where they're confident using that new product or, or um, technology. And in, in my case, many times data-driven decision-making or an analytics solution. And that comes with its own kind of focus area of um, like we use collaborative sites such as Microsoft Teams to create almost like a community of question asking and, and our team answers a lot of those questions that come in or 
other colleagues in HR answer those questions. And we've really put a lot of focus there um, to help that community support the way we launch our products and training. So uh, putting a focus on not only a single one-off training, but a more welcoming environment where we have open Q&A sessions and, 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 uh, and support documentation that they can utilize. So those are just a couple of the facets that kind of fall under how we are looking at this data-driven transformation. And, and I think this resonates across many technology uh, transformations that organizations go through. Um, so, and I think that's, you know, my main point there. I know I rambled on a little uh, with that one, good. but yeah. it's a, a good focus there. So <laughs> any follow-up questions on that one or I'll go yeah. over to the- No, I, I do have a question and that is, have you seen any differences in the data that highlight maybe uniqueness between the men and women on the front lines as compared with maybe the more traditional knowledge workers. And I'd be curious if you have looked for and found any differences between how um, your data is, is kind of showing and, and how that affects how you would respond to different profiles of workers inside your organization. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think I can answer it in terms of how we leverage data to understand how well we're doing on these technology launches and uh, our change management practices. So one thing that we utilize quite often uh, is, our, is our adoption metrics. So we have created uh, dashboards that help us understand our usage of our uh, analytics solutions. And this allows us to look at the adoption rate of our products, how many active users we have, how often are they coming into those tools and diving into that at multiple levels. So if you think of a high level adoption rate, okay, we have a piece of technology, uh, an end user has come in once and across all of the user base, we have 40% adoption. Well, that's one single metric. Yes, that's data that we're incorporating and it can help inform us, but it's kind of a, what I would call vanity metric of just high level, maybe it's painting us in a good light, but where you're really gonna find that value is deep diving into um, the next level below that. So as you're saying, what are we doing to look at the data to see what are the difference between those frontline workers or those knowledge workers? And in, in my context of my work, it's by HR persona. So for us, we have dedicated or, or defined personas across our organization. And we know there's a talent acquisition organization. So those recruiters, we know we have HR business partners. Uh, we have those that work in rewards, so on and so forth. So we look at that uh, usage by those different groups to help us understand maybe if there's pockets of the organization that aren't adopting these products, what is that next step that we take to help them adopt the solution? Likely those metrics aren't going to, at least when we're talking about adoption, they're not going to tell us why. 
but they give us an indicator to go out and have those conversations. We, in the past, have hosted focus groups with some of those populations to hear directly from those end users and ask them questions like, you know, well, uh, is this solution actually answering the questions that you need? Is it helping you in the way that you need? What are those ways that we can enhance it to be more uh, helpful for you? Is it a bandwidth issue? Was the training not effective? Did you miss the communications? You know, all of these are, are viable reasons as to why um, people may not have adopted some change that we've put in front of them. And it could be some more challenging answers as well. You know, there's always resistance that comes across the organization. And I challenge myself and I challenge my team to not think of that resistance as um, a, a negative outcome of change, but something to lean into and listen to, to help us change our processes and our way of approaching change to be more accommodating and get these folks on board. And so, you know, I know uh, we we're talking about data and, and the big piece here is that the data informs the next step that you can take to dive in further. It's really enabling these technical teams, these analytics teams to look at their own processes and start to link up what we're doing well, what we're not doing well, and where we can change in order to take that human-centric approach to the core of what we do. Yeah. You mentioned earlier in the conversation uh, <clears throat> the idea of retaining talent and, you know, in light of what basically all industries are seeing around the world with, um, you know, the great resignation. Uh, obviously this is, you know, retaining is the number one thing that we can do before we get to recruiting. Right. Um, do you see the work that you're doing and in overall OCM strategy being able to impact retention or, or is it possible? Another way to ask this question, I guess, is it, you know, is it possible that some of the digital transformation initiatives that were, um, you know, kind of instilling in the organization are actually driving people away? And are there ways to learn from those experiences and from the data that you're collecting to, to help avoid that so that we can mitigate some of the, uh, the retention and attrition issues that we're dealing with? You know, that's a great, a great question. And right now, um, I don't think we're taking a, a deep dive look at that, you know, the, the culture change initiatives or the data transformation, the technology transformation and how that's affecting um, attrition. It's a really interesting question. Yeah. Uh, but right now, at least in my team, we're not taking a look at it. It's, it's a good one though. I wonder if other <laughs> others are doing that. Yeah. yeah. Well, in our, in our day business, I think we've talked a little bit about that at, at Skillful. You know, we have this training platform that helps train frontline workers. And we've heard plenty of anecdotes of I mean, pretty much every customer that I've talked to, even long before Skillful, has said that some number of their users will quit when, when faced with having to onboard into new technology. And it's like, it's, it's a cost of transformation, that they know there's going to be some percentage. Now, I've never heard any deep data around this. It's it's really just anecdotal, um, but I think it's it's really an interesting thought. And for somebody that's um, 
as data-driven as you are, it'd be an interesting thing for, for, I'd like to actually go explore this elsewhere and see if anybody's done any, any research on this. Um, because I, I, we may not be able to bring that to zero, but I wonder if change management strategies can be applied to help minimize the effects of that. And especially when we're saying that, you know, right now we need these digital transformation initiatives more than ever. We need to deliver technology solutions to the men and women on the front line so that they can be put to, to work doing the things that only people can do and automating, you know, all the other tasks to the extent possible. Uh, but if we drive away some of the people because of their, you know, fear, anxiety, discomfort, whatever it may be around having to absorb that technology, then it's, it's essentially defeating its purpose, right? Yeah. And I'm, as we're talking, I'm thinking about, there's a, there's a study that was done by Censure now a few years ago, but it was all around um, the human impact of data literacy. So in our work driving this culture transformation, I refer back to this study quite often. And it, it, it says that only about 20% of our global workforce really feels confident in their ability to leverage data. And navigate the ways that we are now expecting these roles to incorporate it into their day-to-day processes. And it also says that over 50% of uh, that population says that it contributes to workplace stress that uh, they don't have, or they feel like they don't have those skills to um, back up the new requirements of their role. So I think that this does translate uh, very heavily to what you're saying with the frontline workforce as well. And um, you know, I, I think that that is an important reflection for us as change managers to take a step back and think about um, what is that impact that these changes are having. We know that they're necessary or we know that we're being tasked with managing them. Um, so what are those challenges that our, our communities are having and how can we best support? We may have some turnover uh, as a result of these large scale changes, um, but how can we mitigate the negative impact that comes along with that? And so you know, if we know some of these things are, are fostering themselves in these challenging changes, then let's put together a plan in order to help move this forward. And I'm also thinking, how is the change legacy affecting these new changes that are happening very, very fast right now? So if a change has happened in the past where a new technology comes into place, and then now one year later, we've got another change, but the previous one didn't go very well, how much faith is that population going to have that this next level change is going to also be successful? If we know that change legacy has some challenges, then we should be going into this next level of change, understanding what's, what's uh, irking them or uh, what those, those root causes are so we can better prepare and work in an agile way as this next level change is coming out uh, to better set us up for the future. I think that is one of the biggest problems that I've witnessed with frontline transformation initiatives is the history. What you're describing as change legacy here is that is the previous 
attempts to do things cause, you know, my, my approach would be to call it a, or an eye roll reaction, right? Oh, great. We're going to have another change. I remember how that went last time, you know, it was marvelous. And, you know, the company spent all these millions of dollars and there was this big initiative and here we are 12 or 18 months later, and we're either not using it or we're not using it the way we were expecting, or now they're coming out. They, you know, quote unquote, are telling us that they're going to change something again. I think that's a really big deal. When we talk so much in, in uh, just transformation and in change leadership about credibility and transparency and the communication and all the other, and trust all the other things that are imperative for the, this new change to be successful, but that history can really break things down. How do you, so speaking to a, a data-minded person, how do you measure that change legacy? Is there any way to get kind of a, an objective assessment of what that current uh, change legacy is and the burden that it will have on the current projects going forward? Yes, there. Uh, so I, I'm certified through Change First, uh, which is one of the, the change management certification programs. And I know this is common across many uh, other programs as well, but there are assessments that you can utilize within your organization. Um, they're generally survey-based and uh, to get a feel, send them out, get a feel for uh, those users or those impacted by the change to measure their thoughts on previous changes and where those um, challenges are coming from. And you can see it based on kind of facets of uh, the change approach. So was it in the training? Was it in the communication? Did they feel like they were being listened to when they uh, gave input on um, the, the change? Were they even asked? You know, so there's, there's different facets that can be measured through some of those assessments. And I would highly recommend uh, others to go and check them out and see if that would work within their context of their change. Is there anything that surprised you when you were assessing the, the history of change that, that caught you off guard when you, you learned a new insight from, from what has happened in the past? I think one of the overall learnings that I've had, and it's it's a very classic saying, but it's just hindsight is twenty twenty. Sometimes it's very easy to look back on a project that you've done or uh, something that's happened in the past, and it all seems clear. All right, here's where we went wrong. Here's where we could have done better. Um, and translating that then to how we move forward, we always have the best intentions and we take that learning from the past and apply that in hopes that we're going to do better in the future. And I think many times it does work, but where we have to remember, especially in the context of change management is there's no one size fits all approach. So we learn about that change legacy. We know we're going to impact it, but replicating the same process that we've used in the past isn't always going to work. And I'll give you an example. So we, uh, in, in 2020, we released a new analytics solution, which was heavily based on self-service analytics. We rolled it out to uh, the North America region and put in a lot, a lot of work into making sure that the community uh, learned the new solution, felt supported, understand, 
have an understanding of where this fit into their general uh, workload and, and their roles. And a lot of time was spent and I had the, the great opportunity to lead that. And it was, it was wonderful. You see people get excited about that change, about that new uh, technology that they're taking on. And you see them move through that change curve where they get really excited at the beginning. Maybe they dip towards the middle, getting frustrated as they're learning. But then in the end, you see that success. The approach that we took for that specific region, the next step in our process was scaling globally. The regional approach is very different than the global approach. We have a lot of cultural differences to take into consideration. We have a lot of systems or processes that are different across the globe that need to be taken into consideration. And the change legacy across those is also very different. And so, although we can look historically at change legacy, which is very important to do, we also need to take that agile approach moving forward and reinforce with our organizations or our leaders that a one size fits all approach isn't always going to work. And many times it's not going to work. So if yeah. we take the open mind in that learning as we go forward, the better setup we will be to adjust where we need to. That's really uh, interesting. And I, I think it speaks to what we've, we've had a few conversations on the show before just about the importance of recognizing with the men and women that um, might have some of that history that things hadn't been done perfectly in the past. If for no other reason than to just level set, to be transparent, to explain that, yes, I know we're coming out saying we've got to make another change and there's another innovation and we're probably going to use some of the same words to describe it this time as we did last time, but we're acknowledging that it wasn't perfect. And you know what? We're probably not going to be perfect this time around either. And I think as I think back to some of the guests that have talked about that, those are also guests that I think put trust into the conversation most often when we talked about the, the human aspects of change and, and how I, I think that's important. I think it's important in any relationship with our spouses, with our coworkers, whatever, um, to, to have that level of trust. And, and part of that just means being transparent and admitting that maybe things didn't go so well. Maybe we didn't anticipate some of the cultural changes last time we tried to roll something out. So here's something that we're doing now to, to try to affect that. I think that's um, so powerful. And it seems so obvious, like you said, hindsight's 2020. It seems so obvious when we talk about this on a podcast. Um, but I know it's, it's a lot more difficult to implement, but it's also, uh, you know, just hugely important to the success of a program. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and I, I, your point about even talking about it on a podcast is, is a lot clearer than the actual implementation. And I will be the first to admit that it doesn't go perfect all the time. There's going to be some times where the implementation honestly just doesn't reach the level of success that we set out for. Maybe it's a complete failure. Maybe it's not a complete failure, but, um, you know, we have to know that we put forth as much effort as we could to lead that transformation. We listened to the critical areas that we needed to. We fostered that trust through transparency and open conversations and we really approached the change in the best that we could at that time. There's a lot of outside factors that affect when and how a change is launched. That sometimes is very much so out of the control of 
the change managers, out of the leaders of that team, um, and out of those that are affected by the change as well. And so I think it's, it's a challenging part of change management, but something to lean into and understand that, you know, failure is not a representation of the approach that you took or um, your skills or the organization's, you know, uh, willingness to change. I think right. it's all a piece of the context and every change is different. And so let's learn from that. Let's do our best on the next change that comes out and continue to foster that psychological safety, that trust as you're talking about within the team leading that change, but also within that community that we are uh, working with to actually adopt that change. Yeah. You, you know, it, you just reminded me just that these tech innovations are not easy, right? They're complicated and there are a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of variables and, you know, having been on the technology implementation side of these things for much of my career, I can say that no matter how much we test, no matter how much we sample locations and people and, and the, the overall experience, there are going to be things that come up when we roll that technology out that were virtually unpredictable uh, or just not practical to be predictable just because of limited resources and everything else, right? And I think if I could go back in time again, using my now, you know, hindsight is I, I would go back and set those expectations a little bit better with the users to help them anticipate. We can't tell you what's going to go wrong. If, if we knew it was going to go wrong, we would fix it before we rolled it out. <laughs> okay. But something is likely to go wrong. And I think sometimes maybe our, our method of communication is a little bit rosy and it probably in the end, you know, hurts our collective uh, credibility as the project teams that are that are implementing these technologies with the men and women that are on the receiving end of that stuff. Because we've made it like, hey, it's going to be some panacea, your life's just going to be materially better, and your job's going to be easier, and everything's going to be wonderful, and we're going to make more profit. And then, you know, something as simple as like, the devices don't connect to the network as reliably as they should be, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, everything kind of falls apart, because the expectation was set so high, oftentimes, probably in a way that's that's unachievable. And so I think it breaks down then on the human side of all of that. Uh, it just, it breaks down some of the credibility and trust and some of the other things that we've talked about today. It just, so it's going to make this project harder. And then to the point you've really helped me see is that concept of change legacy, that the history that we're building as we're doing things today. Now, when we have future changes, if we've lost that credibility, and if there's a, a big burden on the team from those previous experiences, it's going to be that much harder in the future. Yeah, definitely. So what, uh, we're already coming up on time here, um, but I, I do want to ask you something here. I'm, I'm curious if there are myths, misconceptions about human, the, the human aspects of change that you would debunk based on your knowledge of the data. Are, are there things that other stakeholders in your organization assume that you can show us data that would say, yeah, that's just not what they're thinking. That's just not how they're receiving it. What, what comes to mind on that? Hmm. I may flip your question a little. Um, I think one of the biggest myths that I am currently working through is with uh, my own team adopting change management practices. And 
leaning in to the fact that we all have very different skill sets and that's something to be celebrated. The diversity of approach, the diversity of skill uh, is necessary, I think, for a team to really reach its ultimate potential. And right now we are on that journey of how do we foster an environment where those technical uh, skilled and, and mindset folks can really reach their ultimate potential with their solutions that they're building in partnership with someone like myself or another change manager or those work, who work with me on the team leading change management. How do we bring these two items together? Because sometimes we speak very different languages. Uh, we take a different approach. And in order to really be successful, we have to bring those together. So the myth is ultimately around technical teams need to stay very technical. I would challenge that and say, how do we incorporate diverse thought, diverse perspectives, and new ways of thinking about the way that we roll out technology to incorporate the human aspect? and put those users at the forefront of all that we do and their perspective at the core of what we're trying to achieve. And so I think it's, it's uh, creating that environment where we can foster collaboration together, reach those outcomes together and upskill each other on both of our expertise. And so the myth, I mean, I think we really, really need to bring that diverse perspective uh, together and, and keep working through that. And it's a journey we are on right now. And it's a fun one. And uh, we've seen some of those benefits pay off when we're able to really come together with the analytic solutions that we're putting out there. So it's how do we continue to grow uh, together in that collaboration? I think I cannot think of a better way for us to to wrap up uh, the conversation. I think that was a really great perspective, and I, I do think it's hugely important. I think it's it's part of our mission of frontline innovators is to elevate this conversation um, with all different uh, professions, all the different stakeholders that are involved with with transformation initiatives. And what you just said it, it really hits home for me about sometimes our um, I, I put myself in that category that the folks on the technology side of things um, don't necessarily have the same insights on, on the people side of change. And I think what I've come to recognize through my day job and through the podcast is, you know, just how incredibly important that is, but we can't just make it like, Hey, that's the job of the change management team to deal with that stuff. I'm just going to make sure that, you know, that the network functions and that the devices work right. I think we all need to be playing a part in that if we expect to be successful. And I think you, you raise a really good point on that diversity. Yeah. We're all change leaders collectively, you know, whether it's in one, your title or not. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. One person can start that movement, but it's really only going to foster itself and, and grow if we have the collective behind it. And so I think that's, where analytics teams are going to continue to move and technology teams as well. And, and exactly, as you said, uh, we're all change leaders. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, we do have to wrap it up there. Elena, thank you so very much for your time today um, to our audience. I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. And if so, please share and rate the podcast. 
As we tell you every time you listen to one of these, five-star ratings do help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And if you, the audience, or you, Elena, know someone else out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Reach out to me on LinkedIn and uh, introduce yourself or somebody else that might be innovating on the front lines. We'd love to hear about it and have them on the next episode. Elena, thanks again for your time today. It's been a great conversation. 